Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. I'm really excited this week. Um, it is the first week of the January 2017 Whole Life Challenge. And uh, we have a guest lined up, not lined up, that you will be listening to in relatively short amount of time uh, that will address the first lifestyle practice, goal setting. Um, before we get to that, I want to remind you um, that... I have a email address, podcast at wholelifechallenge.com, podcast at wholelifechallenge.com. And um, I'm, re- I'm really inviting you, if you're a listener, if you just listened for the first time, send me in questions, send me in issues, send me in articles, anything you want to point my way to hear me address during the podcast. You know, unfortunately with podcasts, they're not live. So it's not like I can take your calls or answer your questions on the spot. And, um, right now this is the, this is the best way that I have that I know of to, to do this. So, uh, suggestions, comments, questions, articles, um, issues that are related to your health and well-being, um, send them to podcast at wholelifechallenge.com. Um, I can't guarantee that I'll talk about them on, on the podcast, but I can guarantee you that I will read them and probably give you a response. So, um, there's that. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is my approach to the start of every whole life challenge. Cause a lot of you are, are listening to this. You're getting started with a whole life challenge or you've already begun. And, um, what I like to do, I've done, this is my gosh, I should know how many I've done. I've done all of them. I think we're on 13 or 14, something in that neighborhood. Uh, some of them I start with much more enthusiasm and momentum and excitement because I need to clean my act up. And others I don't start with as much enthusiasm because I think, oh God, I got to do this again. <laughs> yes. Yes, I go through that um, as well. This time I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the start because I've had a pretty dismal um, food. I guess it's more food and kind of discipline to keep myself on track over the last really six weeks and um, really over the holidays was rough for me uh, that there were cookies in my house. There were just things that were just not good. And I, I'm looking forward to being accountable to cleaning that stuff up. But I like to look at each one of the seven daily habits. Actually, really there are five that I'm, that I'm referring to specifically nutrition, exercise, mobility, hydration, and sleep. And I'd like to set myself a little fairly easily obtainable intention for each one. And I'm going to share those with you now. Um, like I was telling you, my nutrition has pretty much been not so great. So one of the intentions is to, is to clean, clean up my act, get the, get the bread out of my diet, get the sugar out of my diet. But there's something that has been a, what I would call a, an idea. I, I think it's a good idea that I've had. And I've talked to my wife about um, probably eight or 10 times over the last three years that I, I don't remember where I originally heard the idea, but it's about planning and it's about creating a weekly plan for food. Um, so that on, you know, Mondays 
are is you know red meat dinner days and Tuesdays are fish days and Wednesdays are pot roast days or slow cooker days and Thursdays are uh, chicken or poultry days and Fridays are you know I don't know tacos enchiladas day so that we have a context for our food and our food planning and that's something I'd like to implement this challenge now I'm not a hundred percent responsible for implementing it it's gonna come with my wife um, but I've already started kind of an idea of it this week and I'm, I'm playing with it and um, I'm really excited that's kind of that's my intention for the nutrition part of the challenge is to is to come up is to have a weekly plan and to be implementing that over the course of the challenge for me for exercise um, <laughs> this is gonna sound funny coming from me and my background but I've become a bit lazy lately now I'm not a lazy person um, I'm, I'm doing stuff all the time but uh, some people would look at me and go what there's no chance you're lazy but in terms of my workouts, I have been, compared to what I've done over the past 20 years, my workouts have been very, very, very easy as of late. And so my intention over the eight weeks of the challenge is to do something each day that has me break a sweat. It could be a little sweat, could be a big sweat. It doesn't have to be long. Um, you know, very often I can do that in under 10 minutes and it doesn't mean that I can't take days off. It doesn't mean I can't have a fun day where I'm kicking the ball around with my son or, or, um, you know, doing something active. But, uh, that's my intention is to just kind of step it up a little bit so that I'm a workout really is a workout for me and it's not just moving around. Mobility, uh, for me, and that's about, you know, for some of you, you, you hear mobility and wonder what the heck is that? Well, it's stretching, basically. And uh, I have a ground mobility set of exercises that I like to do. It's about 12 exercises long, and it takes me about 15 minutes. And uh, my intention is to do that each day during the challenge. If I can keep that up, I, well, I'll tell you what, I, I will feel so much better after eight weeks of doing that every day. Um, it's not complicated. It's, um, I, I'll have to share it with you guys at some point. Maybe I'll um, shoot a video and uh, get it out to the community because it's a, it's a pretty good um, solid little routine. I've picked up elements from different people over the years of doing it. And um, yeah, my, that's, my, that's my intention for my mobility. Hydration uh, for me is, is usually pretty easy. But I'm, my, my intention is to start every day with, by drinking a glass of water. And a glass of water, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 ounces of water. First thing I do when I wake up, grab the water, drink the water. That just start, starts my day in a really, really positive direction. Uh, sleep. Intention for me is to get to bed by 10 o'clock. Don't stay up late. There will be exceptions. I know that. Um, but when, but when I get to bed by 10, I just feel so much better in the mornings. I'm able to get up early. I'm able to get my early, I like to get up 30 to 30 minutes to an hour before everybody else does so that I feel like I get a jump start. I do get a jump start. I get to do, uh, I have a morning ritual that I do, um, that is, uh, that I love and, um, makes me feel settled and ready to take on the day. And, um, so I get to do that when I it all starts for me with my bedtime. Um, so if I go to bed late, then I tend to 
if I do get up, still get up early, I am groggy when I get up or I just let myself sleep and miss out. Um, and that's it. Those are the five real key ones for me. Lifestyle practices. I will participate in the lifestyle practices and reflection, meaningful reflections, um, not just gobbledygook uh, writing. Um, and that, that, that is my commitment for the challenge. So I encourage you guys, if you're listening to this before the challenge starts, or even if it's, you know, Sunday when the blog, when this, when this, um, podcast, um, drops, if you haven't thought about each one of those things, what would be a small step in each of those areas that you could take that, that may or may not be related to the points in the challenge that's going to lead to a better it's going to lead to your life feeling better in each of those areas um, over the course of the challenge. Some are related to points. Some might not be related to points. I would encourage you to take that on. Um, okay. I'm going to change gears. And um, I'm going to introduce our guest who I'll be talking with for the next hour. Uh, her name is Carolyn Fryer Jones. Freyer Jones. <laughs> I I messed that up in the podcast and she corrects me. So uh, there we go. I did it again. I've been I've known Carolyn for a long time and I've pronounced her name wrong for the entire time I've known her. So, um, you know, I'm going to start off by saying if you know, Car I brought Carolyn on the on the podcast specifically to talk about goal setting because she's a life coach, professional life coach. She's been doing it now for 15 years. Um, she's an expert. She really is an expert on goals. And um, if you've only got a few minutes, um, you can jump to that part of the podcast. I wish I had the time code for you. Um, that's kind of funny that I'm telling you to jump to this part of the podcast without having the time code. But I'm because I'm recording this, um, I can't give you the time code. Wow. You know what's funny is um, I was about to decide to cut this off and re-record it because I messed up, right? Uh, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> just, just, I'm just real. I'm realizing the ridiculousness of me telling you. I was going to tell you to jump to this the, this time code where Carolyn talks about goal setting in the current lifestyle practice. Um, I can tell you that it's in the second half of the podcast, and that's about as good as I can I can get at this point. Um, uh, yeah. So sorry that, that I won't do that again. But uh, that's very very funny. Um, let me tell you more about Carolyn. She's a professional life coach. She has supported hundreds, if not thousands of men and women learn how to use their own life's challenges and obstacles for insight and growth. She has helped them in launching new businesses, strengthening relationships, transforming careers, growing themselves as leaders and experiencing greater peace and joy. Her clients include corporate executives, business owners, authors, lawyers, television hosts, salespeople, many more. Can't really tell you all of them. By the way, in the interest of full disclosure, she's been my coach, my life coach for the last four years. Um, she is also the principal developer and lead faculty member for the university, university of Santa Monica's soul centered professional coaching program. It's graduated hundreds of soul centered professional life coaches since its inception. I was a graduate of that program, by the way. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff during the podcast, um, including her take on her upset, her upset and 
the world's the, the the world's upset around Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. We talk about that. We talk about what it means to live your life in a spiritual context. Um, the we talk quite a bit about the spiritual tool of compassionate self forgiveness. Um, how we're all wired to judge others and ourselves. What's really underneath the triggers that upset you? Hint, it's probably a projection. Uh, we talk about her experience being around spiritual teachers and saints. I, I share a story of actually one of my experiences with that. Uh, we talk about goals, what works about them and what doesn't, and the difference between process goals and results-oriented goals. What's underneath goals? What's your why? Asking why. Um, and how self-judgment very often keeps you from achieving your goals, regardless of how hard you work at obtaining them. Uh, we talk about training yourself with loving versus fear and self-judgment. And we talk about the importance of community and knowing it's valued in your life. Um, this, is a, this is a really fun conversation for me. I learned some things about Carolyn that I didn't know. Um, she, we, we talk about things that we've never talked about before. And um, there's a lot of really good, uh, really, really great nuggets that come out of this one. So um, check it out. I'm not going to continue um, talking and um, because I want to bring you Carolyn Freyer Jones as soon as possible, which means now. Three, two, one, go. Carolyn Fryer Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And it's Carolyn Freyer Jones. What? Yeah, I know. It's crazy, Wait right? Wait a second. I've known you a like 11 time. years mm -hmm. or 12 years, and mm -hmm. I've said it wrong the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Michael listens to this podcast, which he doesn't always do, uh, he will get a humongous kick out of that Good. because I butcher everyone's. <laughs> I, I always screw up names and titles and. Say it again. Freyer. Freyer. J Freyer Jones. F-R-E-Y-E-R. -E yeah, but it's pronounced like you know as what? if it was F-R-A-Y-E-R. -E right. I've always thought of it as like Friar Tuck. Right. But it's not. No. Freyer. Yeah. Interesting. Nobody in your family pronounces it Friar? Absolutely not. Wow. In fact, we've corrected people for many, many years. Because we have different factions of our family that pronounce Patronic differently oh, okay. than I pronounce Patronic. So we have, there's one faction of our family that says Patronic. My my half brother's family that um, is in upstate New York and they call it Patronic and um, it's Patronic or Patronic. Those are the two that I the pronunciations that I, we have in our family. So well, that's not the point of the podcast. The point, you know, <laughs> you're actually here for a reason other than to state your name. Yes. Um. Uh. I want to let everybody know right out of the gate that Carolyn is my life coach. And uh, has been so for, what, about three years now? A little bit longer. Maybe four years? Yeah. I'm not keeping track. Yeah, probably four years. Um, a while. And she coached me while I was going through the program at University of Santa Monica. And um, coached me and led the, and we'll talk, I'll, I'll, I probably have talked about this in the introduction that I haven't recorded yet about you, but you, she, she leads the the um, soul-centered professional coaches program at University of Santa Monica, and I went through that program. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I know Carolyn. She, Carolyn knows more about me than probably I know about me. Um, and I told her to, you know, take the gloves off. She can, doesn't have to be discreet. <laughs> just share any, share away, share away. So you may learn some things about me in the awesome. podcast too. Um, 
So I, I'm going to start with a question that I that I like to start with because it, it gives me and other people out there a, kind of a baseline idea of, of who you are. If you were at a party somewhere mm-hmm. and you bumped into somebody that you never met before and you needed to, you wanted to have a conversation with them, um, and they said, "Hey, so you know, what do you do? What what do you tell them?" Well, I'm pretty straight out. I say that I'm a life and a business coach, and I. I don't, I really don't say much else other than I ask someone else a lot of questions if I want to get into conversation with them. Hmm. You know, so I just stop right there. and you just... I do. I mean, I operate from the model that you're familiar with, which is my coach's model, Steve Chandler, which is be interested, not interesting. Okay. But for the purposes of this podcast, can you give us a little more about me? Yeah. About sure. You. About you. I mean, first of all, you didn't mention this, so I'll mention this right out of the gate. You and I met much longer ago. Oh, right. Right. Because... You've been a client of mine. For... Yeah. 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 Way, way, way longer. Exactly. Carol is one of the first people that uh, showed up in the, inside the doors of Patronic Fitness, yeah. the first gym that I opened. And I, I, it's a very funny story. You can probably tell the story better than I can. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, Andy changed my life many, many years ago. You changed my life because what, over 10 years ago now, maybe 11 or 12 years ago, I showed up at Patronic Fitness coming out of a fairly rigorous fitness program, but wasn't happy with the culture and the way it was being run. And I'd read an article in the LA Times about this thing called CrossFit. And that person came and did a workout and interviewed you. And I thought, well, given what I did, I, I could do that. It sounds a little insane, but I come from a little insane. And I came and I met you and I thought you seemed like a great guy, despite your sort of reluctant, reluctant, uh, reluctance in enrolling me. You were the most reluctant enroller I'd ever met. You were like, yeah, you gave me a couple movements to do to make sure I could move. And you were like, yeah, you could do this, but you're not going to know anybody. And, um, of course it's going to be really hard. And if you want to come, come at 6am. Did I tell you that there was a pukey bucket in the corner? I don't know if you did, but you were sort of this sort of reluctant enroller and I came anyway, but once I came, it was fantastic. And the quality of community that you had already created there and the way you led classes and you were so fun and you made it just so, despite the way you enrolled me. Well, I think part of my, I don't know if I had a strategy, but I think part of the way I did it just to make sure that. I was assessing someone's desire because CrossFit is hard and it's not normal. So I would push, push away. Yeah. And if somebody would come in spite of me pushing away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now we got something to talk about. Right. Now we got, now we have a foundation and a baseline. I wasn't actually trying to get you to leave no. because I was building a business <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I wanted more, more clients. So it is kind of funny, um, you know, that I, that, that, that was your, uh, that's your memory of, you know, Andy wanted me to leave basically more than he wanted me to stay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't so much. I thought you wanted me to leave. I thought you, you were, you were sort of laissez faire about like, oh, let's see. Like there right. was an element of that, but I mean, once I got there and was in the community, you were fantastic and I felt so welcomed. And what right. I loved about it, which was really important to me, given who I am in the world is that I felt like the way you ran the gym and the way you showed up for people, I didn't feel like there was a distinction between me who was, who still is, by the way, even though people hear CrossFitter and they think, oh man, she's like a fire breather. She's got to be, you know, I've been doing it now for almost. She's been a gymnast. She was an Olympic weightlifter. Right. She's set re- records, I'm world like, records I'm in the, the la- pentathlon. I tell people I'm the laziest CrossFitter I know. 
And I'm also the least, I'm last on the board every time, pretty much, you know, in the women's class I'm in, maybe not all the time, but often, certainly when I was working out with you, I was the last on the board every time. Um, I, I excel at showing up. That's my biggest muscle. Mm-hmm. But what I loved about you and I continue still to love about you is you didn't, it didn't matter. I didn't feel right. like I was less than in that community. And there were some really hardcore people yeah. and I never felt that way. And I felt like you, you encouraged me and you welcomed me. And then I became part of that community and I felt fantastic. I loved it. It was like one of the, some of the most fun times I've ever had. It's, it's hard. You know, I, I think, um, you know, just to acknowledge the, the show up part that you just talked about it's one of the things that I talked about nonstop when I first started the business. And even now just show up, just show up, just show up, show up and don't quit. Right. And, um, it's a very, very, very difficult thing to get someone to do that is in the habit of evaluating, judging, and then, and leaving quitting yeah. before, you know, quitting when it gets tough yeah. or right out of the gate. Right. Quitting, you know, that's why I'd like to push away first. Yeah. I would be, you know, tell people um, the first time I met him, look, there's a peaky bucket over in the corner and it gets used on a pretty regular basis. So if you don't want to push yourself hard and you want to, you know, watch videos on your iPhone and and while you're doing, uh, working on the treadmill, then this is probably not the place for you. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but, but just your ability to put all that aside, uh, given your level of, um, if you compare you to the people that were training at CrossFit LA at what was, what became CrossFit right. LA, what was Patronic Fitness then? I mean, we had MMA fighters. We had, I mean, people that were pretty hardcore athletes. And then there was Carolyn. And I, I don't say that in any disparaging way. No, it was just because your desire to show up in the face of that was just in, was inspiring. It actually inspired the hardcore athletes. Like, what? How does she? How, she keeps showing up. Right. Really? No. And I, I, I worked out there with you through my entire pregnancy and yep. you were really supportive of like, you were like, why would you stop crossfitting? You've been crossfitting well over a year. There's no reason you should, unless there's something your doctor tells you. Right. So I got to do that and that was super fun. But I also think it's important to say that one of the things I appreciated Andy about the way you created that culture is that look, conf- CrossFit is confrontive. It's yeah. designed that way in a certain way. And so you, even though, you know, the workout for time, everybody's names on the board. Sometimes I'd be last. Often I would be last. I never felt like that. You made it really clear that really didn't matter. Right. Like you didn't, there was no judgment going on inside of you. Like, and I, and I had been in a workout environment where there was a lot of um, exclusion around people who were stronger and people who weren't. And I, it was really important me given my own training was that I'm looking for an environment where that's not going to be present. I really wanted to be in an environment where there was a lot of support and a lot of neutrality. And despite it being CrossFit, it was. So the board, my name on the board became something that I had to deal with for me, but it wasn't coming from you. And I loved that. So that's the original way we met. Right. Right. Um, now you mentioned your training yeah. in the last statement, and, and so I want to go there next because I think it's important um, to acknowledge some of your background. Um, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, about Yeah, I'd love to tell you about it. Um, so I earned my master's degree in spiritual psychology in 1998, and that is from the University of Santa Monica, and that is probably one of the biggest chunks of my training. Um, 
before that, I had done a good amount of what I would call personal growth work, but not in a, in a structured educational context. It was like I'd been to therapy. I'd never done anything in a group before, but I did a lot of good work in therapy. And then I moved to Los Angeles from Boston. My husband is in television production. So Los Angeles seemed like a good enough place as any, especially for him. For me, I was mixed about it, but that's fine. And then I was working in the field of new business development for a graphic design firm and loved the people I worked with. They were super creative, but I was also deeply unsatisfied in a certain way. And I was starting to see that my work environment was reflecting to me uh, some dysfunction, let's call it. And I learned early on in my own work in therapy that that wasn't relating to the people I worked with. It was just reflecting my own family of origin. Mm -hmm. So I was just playing that out in my workplace. And I was starting to see that didn't work for me. And I wanted to leave. And I thought, do I want to become a therapist? I'd sort of played with that on and off. So you were in sales? Yeah. Okay, got it. I was in sales and marketing, but mostly sales. And then I saw an article in the LA Times. I was cleaning out my newspapers. And it was an article about why do people from France move to Los Angeles? Like, why would anybody move from France? And one woman in the article said, the only reason I moved from France to Los Angeles was because it was the only place I knew about that had a master's degree program in spiritual psychology. And I was immediately intrigued. And it said University of Santa Monica. And I lived like right on the border of Santa Monica for nine years. I was thinking, where is this place? I've never heard of it. <laughs> right. And I... Right. And I called and they tried to talk to me. And I was like, no, because I was a cynical New Yorker. I was like, no, 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 just send me your materials. And they sent me the materials. Now I'd worked in graphic design. I would know if it was some bizarre, like strange little, you know, mini mall school that was not going to be credible to me. And it wasn't. It was a beautiful place. And it was the materials were quality. And I thought this is a real program. And I went and checked it out and had no idea what I was getting involved in because the University of Santa Monica is a very unusual place because it's not a master's degree program where you sit and take notes and you take tests. It's highly experiential. It's all about you, your life, your challenges. And that was really where my my heartfelt dreams started to come forward in a major way. I started to really get to look at my life. I got to clean up all of my stuff about my family in a were major you, way. Did you continue working while you were going I through did. the program? Yeah. So it's not like you quit your job and no, en- no. entered the school. The school is designed to be done alongside exactly. of your, it, The right. school is great because it meets in a weekend format. So right. it's one weekend a month. So that worked really well for me because I was still working. I had to pay for my program and I had to pay for my life. And my husband and I were newly married at the time. So that, that, that was a game changer for me because while I was there, I was so stunned by the quality of the education and what was happening for me. What did you, what was your purpose to go? Like, why did you start? Did you know? No, absolutely had no idea. <laughs> like, like I was clearly something inside was driving me that I wouldn't back then I couldn't have articulated. Now I know that there was some, I was being led in a certain way that to me, I, I would define as because you know, my life now is I live it much more in what I would call a spiritual context. It's like I, I was clearly being led to my next step because why would I go look at the school? Like I was very clear. I didn't look at any other school, even though I was thinking about maybe I'll become a therapist, which I did not. And the program was so well designed for me because it was experiential because they spiritual psychology. I mean, who, 
who knows what that is? I didn't even know what it was. And I went to an information evening and applied to the program. And you still couldn't dis- no. define what it was. Right? No, my parents right. were I like, what are you doing? The same pro- same what pro- are you same doing? Yeah. So it was a game changer. And it was really there that the seeds of becoming a coach happened and the seeds of becoming a facilitator. Yeah, but it took you a long time. It took me a long time. Because you... I, I ended up working become, there. Yeah, you ended up working at USM right after you yeah. got your degree. Yep. Right. Literally, as I was leaving, the chief academic officer said to me, I had said, look, if you ever want assistance on the graphic design front, I would do it as service. I'm, I've gotten so much from the program. And she's like, well, why don't we have lunch? And I thought, okay. And we had lunch. And she said, what, what do you want to do? And I, I was so stunned that she was even asking me that I didn't really know what to say, but I thought, I'm going to go consult. That's what I thought when I left the program. I'm going to go be a consultant in marketing. And so I got a call a couple weeks later, and they said, look, our marketing director is leaving. Would you come and interview for the position? Mm-hmm. And I was terrified because I thought, what if working here is horrible compared to being a student here? Because I thought that would just crush me. It was mm-hmm. so it was such a meaningful education. I thought, forget it. I'll, but I knew, like, part of me was like, you got to find out. Right. I had to find right. out if what was going on behind the scenes was as positive and valuable as what was going on in the classroom. And I can say, I mean, I worked there 12 years. I went from being the director of marketing to the director of admissions and then the director of admissions and marketing. And it was fantastic. I grew much more. But it is different. I mean, of course, it's it's, like anything. Yeah. And uh, working there is it's a it's a job. Right. Right. You know, I mean, the program You're not doing your emotional cleansing and rinsing no, they and all don't the stuff want you do in the program at work. They really don't want you crying as you're, you know, <laughs> right. it, the, what's right. interesting, though, I think this is a valuable thing to hear about. They have a very specific focus. They're like, we, this is a we don't want this to be a process centered workplace. Right. It's like if your stuff comes up, deal with it because you learn the tools and skills for how to do that. But we don't want you like limit your downtime. We're here to work. We have a mission. I mean, the mission of the University of Santa Monica is to transform people's lives. So we don't want people collapsing in the workplace and not able to function. Because your job as a staff is to hold the structure, right? Yeah. You know, hold the place to be the protector, kind yeah. of the guardian of the uh, kind of the of the playing field. Uh, yeah, of and, the mission. And if the, if the playing field collapses, right. then, then, you know, you're yeah. not doing anybody any any service. So when I was the director of admissions, we enrolled 275 people into the program once a year. And my job, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations with potential students. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was really also where that coaching started because those calls, although they were about the university's graduate program, they were the start of coaching because people would share about their lives and I would ask questions and I would use the principles and practices of spiritual psychology in the conversation so that they would have an experience of what that was like. So I got to ask you a question. This is a question that I've always had in the back of my mind, but I never really thought to ask. It didn't really matter to me, but it, it, it occurs to me in a business that is, has a very difficult time enrolling people like a, like the university of Santa Monica, they do it once a year. It, it occurs to me that if you've got the money and someone is willing to pay to, to enter, like, don't they just say yes? Don't they just let you in? I mean, you can write whatever you're going to write in your application. I mean, how many, do they turn people yeah, away? They do turn people away. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's not for everyone, as you know, cause you're a graduate, it's right. confrontive yeah, right. in, a, in a different, but similar way to CrossFit. Right. I always say to people, you know, the University of Santa Monica's programs are not dissimilar from CrossFit because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You're going to get into uncomfortable, painful territory. The only distinction between CrossFit and USM is at USM, the territory is inside. 
So it's not right. physical pain. It's more like you're going to see where your weak spots are. Things inside of you are going to get exposed that are not serving you. Right. And that's uncomfortable. And you have to be prepared for that. I mean, look, that's why people drop out of the program because they get in there, even if they're accepted, all of a sudden it starts getting too hot and they're like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that. It's not for the faint of heart. Two years of that, as you know, is like huge it, yep. and not, not, um, it's rigorous. Right. And I love that just like I love CrossFit. Well, that was one of the hard things for me to ex- express to people is, you know, when you take something as airy fairy as spiritual psychology or it's as, as airy fairy as it sounds. Sure. And then, and then you have the experience in the program of the structure and the, and the, and the rigor and the, the way it was kind of set up as a master's degree. I mean, it's a real master's degree. There's oh, yeah. no, there's no, there's no, um, question that I know that the work that I did and the, the standards to which I was held were online with any master's degree program I can think Absolutely. about. They're different. They're certainly Very different. different. You know, there, there, there's no standardized tests. No. There's no, you know, um, it's one of the, one of the ways they say it at USM is it's school the way you always wish it were. Right. It was. Right. Like, but were. there was a lot of homework. I mean, when we did the program, there was it's, a lot of homework. I mean, it's yeah. changed obviously, as you know, they're not, they're not doing it the same way, yeah. but it, yeah, it was rigorous and it was challenging. And I did a lot of work outside classes you did. And, and so, but working there was fantastic. And that really is where in all those conversations and that's where I started to do a little bit of my own coaching on the side just because I, I loved using the tools and skills, but I wanted the freedom to not have it be only about USM. Well, talk a little bit about the tools and skills because you mentioned you, you know, that USM doesn't um, want the environment at work to be a processing environment. You, right. know, you have the tools and skills to work out your stuff. Right. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. So when you go to the University of Santa Monica and take their programs, you learn what are called, they call the principles and practices of spiritual psychology. And within that, there are sets of tools and skills that you can use to function in your life. How do you do that? How do I do that? I mean, well, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this. To me, one of the most powerful tools I've learned at USM is the tool of compassionate self-forgiveness. So I'll share a little bit about that because it's going to sound wildly strange (laughs) to most people. First of all, it's like most of us are walking around in the world judging ourselves and others. Most of us don't even know that we're judging. We think that we're thinking thoughts. And most of those thoughts, if we took our time and slowed them down, are often judgments. So when we're judging, we're not as effective in our lives. Not just like from a standpoint of I'm not going to get as much done but we're also not going to be able to connect with people, especially the people important to us. It's like if I'm spending most of my day judging my husband for how he's not doing X, Y, Z, I'm not loving him, right? right? I'm not connecting. I'm not certainly feeling good. So USM, one of the most powerful things about the work there, I think, is that it really helps people to start to see how much time and how much energy they're spending judging themselves and others. Are they judging others? Or like, I think one of the hard concepts to get is the self-judgment. And not, you know, I can easily see how I judge my wife and my my dog and my neighbors and my mm. business partner. Mm. Um, love you, Michael. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what do you mean? Self-judgment. Talk about Well, that. I mean, I think it's a perfect, actually, I think this is a perfect thing to talk about in the context of the whole life challenge, which I love, by the way, I've done it a bunch of times. I'm going to do it again. And, um, because 
self-judgment is everything from I sh- anytime someone says I should have done it differently, that could be easily a self-judgment. Most of the time people are walking around saying I shouldn't have done that. I wish I had done this. Why didn't I do that? And they're upset because of they're, yeah. they're, they're internally upset. Yeah. If they slow it down to, to look at or it. Or I, I wish my kid, why isn't my kid doing a better job at X, Y, Z? Like why? But often, because you asked about self-judgment, anytime we're judging someone else, it's almost guaranteed we judge ourselves for the very same thing. So if it's your kid um, you're looking at and going, why isn't he a better soccer player? There's an element of why am I not a better parent Who's or why? Why? Or, why were my genes not better? You know, or why? Or maybe, well, huh? How were my parents about me when I was in and and playing games or sports or at school? Yeah. Was there pressure? What did I start to learn as a kid that who I am is really attached to how I do in the world? Mm-hmm. So most of us, right, walk around the world thinking, well, my value and worth is based on what I do. Versus I'm valuable and worthy regardless of anything I do, right? right. Like I walk right. around in the world and I'm like, my worth and value is not dependent on what I, what I, how I did in the wad today. Most Cause pe- if it were, I would I'd forget <laughs> it. I'd be out, but I had to work with that a lot. When yeah. I first started with you, it gave me a lot of material, it gave me a lot of material because yeah. I could easily judge myself for how I did and compare myself to others. And because I had the tools, I could say, Carolyn, are you really going to use this against yourself? Like, and I would, right. I mean, you'd laugh, but I can tell you how many times I would walk around being like, I forgive myself for judging myself as a loser because I was last on the board. Mm-hmm. So compassionate self-forgiveness is like the delete button for judgment. It's the tool that USM teaches for how to handle judgment inside of you. So people don't know I'm doing it. I mean, I joke that I do self-forgiveness when I'm driving the car. I do self-forgiveness as my husband is talking to me and he doesn't know I'm doing it. I do self-forgiveness in all, I like Stephen McGee, who's teaches the coaching program with me said to the class, the last time we taught it, I do self-forgiveness every day throughout the day. And I would agree. And to me, that's one of the most powerful tools. And I use it with my clients. If I have people I'm working with who don't know what it is, I teach them it. And judgment is such a huge issue. I mean, look, we're seeing it now in the world, right? There's so much judgment between ourselves and others. And But most of the time, it's really self-judgment. We think it's about someone else. But chances are, like, if I think my husband should be taking care of himself more, I have to be willing to go, how am I not taking care of myself? Like, why, why am I putting it on him? Where am I not showing up for me? Because you're, when you're triggered by what you see somebody else doing, it's what you're saying is it's very often that that is something. It's a reflection of how I'm not showing up for me. It's triggering something inside of me. It's really got nothing to do with the other person. It, all, it appears that way. I mean, so, I can't. Okay, so let's talk about Donald Trump then. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. He's triggering a lot of people. Yeah, including so, me. So what do you what do you make of how how do you yeah. relate to that? Well, for you, me, I mean I'm I ha- I literally had a conversation with someone this morning who a close close friend, longtime friend who um lives in the south in a very rural area and she was really clear with me, someone who I um that you know, that she had voted for Trump. And she started to have a lot of judgments in how she was speaking about 
Barack Obama. And I had to really work with myself like, oh, my gosh. First of all, my judgment that that she was a Trump supporter. And then I have to look at that all over the place because I'm really committed to that. I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to judge an ent- like a lot of people for their voting choice. That doesn't seem to help us create more peace in our country. Right. If I'm judging people for their voting choice, that's on me. And in terms of Donald Trump, I the way I look at it as is like, wow, anytime someone is, is um, creating that much disturbance for that many people, there's a lot to be learned. And, and, and I look at Donald Trump and I go, so where am I, where am I like him? Where am I negative, right? Like we all judge. So where do I act like Donald Trump? Even if I do it silently, only inside of me. Where do I act like that? Where do you? Where do you do that? Oh, I'm, I'm, I do it with my husband. Really? Yeah, but I don't do it like... Is John going to listen to this podcast? Yeah, I'm sure he is and he's going <laughs> to laugh. But like in, in my... Like, right, he's 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 um, authoritarian. He's very much in the right-wrong model, right? Your, your husband? Or no, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Donald Trump is like, there's he thinks he's right. Yep. He thinks he's better than a lot of other people who've come before him. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, where do I think I'm right? I think I'm right a good amount of the time sometimes inside my family. Right. Where do I think I'm better than other people? How does this help you? Well, it frees me because then I'm not walking around in the world running my upset. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, um, I don't, my experience isn't going to be dictated by who's president, like my inner experience. And that's going to be what I'm going to have to work with every day. It's like to the degree I follow the news and listen to what's happening, I'm going to have to really pay attention to that person who's in that office is not in charge of my inner environment. Even if he's doing or saying things that quote unquote upset me, that's on me. Like I, no one, no one walking around the world gets to dictate what my inner environment is like. Well, they used to say at USM, if you st- can start a sentence with, I'm upset because... It's on you. It's on you, which... which who doesn't walk around saying that? Right. I mean, I do. Look, I've been through the program. I should I, I should know better. <laughs> there we go. It's my should. Um, you should know better. Like, you, you're, you're way more experienced than this. You're my coach, for God's sake. Right. But see, remember, my commitment I'm is... I'm kidding, by the way. I know you are. Yeah. My commitment is that I'm going to work with it. See, it's not... Right, the, the, right. The, so it doesn't shut it off. No, well, no. I, school no doesn't, obviously, the school doesn't shut it off. I'm way less judgmental than I was. And right. I'm way less hard on myself than I was. And I'm way less reactive. Well, are you less or do you just catch it faster? I'm way less. You are way because less. Because to okay. me, when so we... So it's a little bit of both. When it's we a, use these tools and skills, because if we don't use them, they'll perish. Yeah. If we use them over time, things change. Yeah. How, what sorts of changes have you seen? Oh, I mean, my entire relationship with my parents, my entire relationship with my husband, um, much, uh, gentler, much more, I'm much more, I'm much more willing to not be in power struggles. So in other words, I don't need to be right a lot of the time. When I do, I catch myself. It's like I'm not willing to sacrifice peace in the name of I want it my way. Mm. By and large, now I'm human and I have stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But by and large, it's like I'm I'm not going to do that. Like nothing. What what is more important than that? Well, people every day are are essentially making the choice that being right is more important than, yeah. what, than what you're saying. But that's a different context. I mean, yeah. look, yeah. To be, when I sat in the USM classroom and they were like, 
Why you don't have to live in a right wrong context? I I didn't even know what they were. I was thought they were like, are you are you speaking like an alien language? Right. Like right. I come right. from a family where being right is like an Olympic sport. Yeah. So I had no idea. I didn't know what. To, what do you mean? There's a there's a way to live in the world without making things right or wrong. Right. What is that? You came from a Donald Trump world. I did. I did in its own way. Yeah. But yeah. certainly, absolutely. I, mean, I did too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not singling you out. No. For God's sakes. I mean, this is. I mean, we're all, yeah. this is kind of the, it seems to me that this is kind of the operating system we're dealt. I it don't is. know if that's true. Well, Ron Holnick, the president of USM says, by and large, that's, we come in, we're born, we remember who we are for a while, meaning we don't have the, the overlay. You don't have it when you're two years old. No, like you, you remember at, that. You look at a two-year-old child. Well, I don't remember my two-year-old, but I looked at my son and I, he didn't have any of that. Starting to get it now. Right, he's they're at the age. Getting it. Yeah. Right, it changes around seven to nine is when they start to have more judgment. They start yeah. to get into right wrong. Yeah. It is part of our, it's part of the world we live in. And then for some of us, we find a way to wake up again. And for me, that's what USM was. It was like a way to wake up that I didn't have to live like that. Right. Because that way, to me, just leads to so much pain and suffering. Do you think the the big religious teachers like the Buddha or like Jesus Christ or some of the other people that we recognize as being these, I don't know, spiritual figures. Yeah. Do they not have this? Do you, do you think that they don't? That I mean, they... I can't, I don't know because I, no, I, I, I can't, know, I can't remember. Well, I'm curious of your take. You can't remember Jesus? When I don't, were... I don't remember when I was with Jesus <laughs> and I'm not really sure how Jesus felt about me, but I know Jesus ultimately loved me supposedly just like the Buddha and everybody else. Because you got that in you. I mean, of course. We all have it in us. I mean, to me, look, I can tell you what I know from the spiritual teachers I've been around is that even spiritual teachers, if they're in a human body, they have stuff. So they have moments. I mean, I'm not a big Bible reader. I don't even know the Bible very well. But if I vaguely recall, people have talked about there were moments where Jesus got angry, mm -hmm. right? So people, I, so. I think so too. Um, so that's just part of life. I don't think, I mean, I think, but the spiritual teacher that I spent a lot of time around, I experienced him as really different in that context. Like doesn't mean he didn't have moments where he was in his stuff, but the quality of loving and the quality of unconditional loving and accepting people right where they are, even if it looked disturbing was extraordinary. Were there moments that you can recall? Like, is there a story you could you could recall that, that where you saw that. And who is your who is this person? That um, I'm talking about John Roger, who was the chancellor of the University of Santa Monica. And he also started a number of other organizations. And I started to study with him more uh, sincerely after I graduated from USM. USM is not, it's not a, a spiritual path. I got onto a spiritual path really as a result of my USM education. Uh -huh. And uh, John Roger had started a a set of separate spiritual teachings that you could go and follow and learn and their readings and their books and their texts and all sorts of stuff. And I got to spend time around him. He's not alive anymore, but I got to spend time around him. And I was initially very much because I'm a cynic, I was a cynical New Yorker. I didn't want anything to do with him. But finally, after spending so much time around USM and working there for so long and graduating, I wanted to spend, I wanted to know who was behind all this because mm -hmm. he didn't make himself known. And I got to start, I started to spend more time around him at talks and things. And all I can say is that there was something that happened inside of me as I spent more time around him that was uh, nothing like I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And his, the, the way, his way of being, 
I just felt, it sounds ridiculous and kind of woo, but I felt like something I'd never experienced in my entire life. And that changed me being around him and then starting to study the teachings of acceptance of, um, just putting my own connection, my own spiritual connection as a primary part of my life through things like meditation and reflection, everything changed for me. And being around him, I liked him a lot because he was kind of quirky and funny and irreverent and did not look like what I thought a spiritual teacher should look like because I was really averse to, I didn't want to be around all that. I thought then I'd have to be in robes and I'd have to give away my life and I'd have to, and that- India. Move to India. Like I had all these ideas. I thought that I would have to like- surrender my property. Like I, I had cult thoughts. Tithings. Right. And that's not what that was. So for me, it was a great fit because it was very different than that. Hmm. And he was his, one of the things he said all the time was use discernment. What doesn't work for you, don't use it. If it works for you, use it. And I couldn't argue with that. Like Hmm. who can argue with that? Right. So he, he wasn't follow my guidance no matter what no and he was also much like they teach at usm is like go inside you everyone has their own inner guidance it's there for everybody were there any occasions in which you saw him do something that was just like whoa yes but you mean whoa in a what way just like um, i don't know yeah i've never really spent much time i i did have one experience with a indian mm. teacher um she's a I don't think she's a saint. Her name's Ama. Oh yeah, that's supposed to be extraordinary when she extraordinary. hugs, she's right? She's hugging. She's the hugging. Maybe they do call her yeah, a saint. Yeah, they the do. Hugging saint. Were and you hugged by her? I was hugged by her. What it was, was that uh, like? It was uh, fifteen. It was she was. I mean, she she hugs people for like forty hours straight with no breaks. Fifteen thousand, twenty thousand people, and uh, I was very skeptical. I I was skeptical right up for the moment until the moment that I approached her. Approached her. She doesn't speak my language. She doesn't right. you know. And. I was just overwhelmed in the moment. I mean, I, it's hard to describe because the, the skepticism was so large, just even like 10 feet right. away. Like, I'm like, what am I doing? There's, there's uh, chanting and there's drums and there's incense and there's, I mean, what am I doing here was so running mm. going on. Like, this is crazy. I, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm wasting hours standing in this line. And I was doing it because my, my wife's um, sister was a big believer right. and big follower. And uh, probably part of me, I don't think we were married at the time, so probably part of me was doing it because I wanted to impress my girlfriend <laughs> that I was, you know, uh, yeah. spiritual or yeah. something. And in like the 10 seconds I was with her, that not only did that skepticism vanish, it, it was replaced with this unconditional love. Mm. I feel I feel strange even saying it, like because right. I can feel it. I, I'm, I'm right now talking about it. I can feel it in my heart. I and I can't explain it. I was I had I was in tears right. walking away, and all of that stuff that had built up to that moment were gone. Isn't that amazing? Completely gone. And I I still to this day I can't explain it. Right. I, I don't. I had a number of experiences like that around John Roger that were just, I couldn't put into words, but it's that very same thing where just he would look at me or I would see him do something with someone in a, in a room full of people. And it was as if everything changed, like, like things that were going on inside of me completely melted away. Mm -hmm. And I would feel it was, it was hard to put into words and it was profound. And I thought, well, uh, that's a good thing. 
Right. So right. I'm going to do more of what, and his thing was, don't spend time around me, go inside because that experience is inside of you. I may help to awaken that, but that exists regardless of where I am. And I love that. I love right. that it's about me and it's right. about my internal connection. And, um, so for me, it's just, um, that was obviously, as you can hear, tons and tons of transformation from the moment I decided to apply to USM. And then everything came from there. And then from there, I started doing a little bit of coaching. And then from there, I met my coach, Steve Chandler, who's been my coach for well over 10 years, who also changed my life in profound ways and continues to. And then I met my business partner, Michelle Bauman, and um, she and I started to do work together. And that was a game changer. And then, as you know, Michelle died a little over a year ago. That was another enormous, huge change for me and yeah. still is. And um, I'm, I, I love the idea, though, that... Uh, I love the, um, I'm a huge fan of the whole life challenge. First of all, you know that. And I'm a huge fan of anybody who decides to do the whole life challenge, beginners, pre-beginners to advance. I just think it's, I think what you and Michael have created is remarkable and a great way for people to start to have experiences of waking up in areas of their life that they've currently been asleep to. Mm -hmm. And it can be tiny, right? It could yeah. be teeny tiny. It could be sleep or it could be water, but it could also be like, I think you have one where it's like, there's things about gratitude. Mm -hmm. There's things about like all sorts of stuff. So it's profound. I wanted to ask you about being a life coach. Yeah. Um, because it, it's a profession that is, first of all, many people are life coaches and don't like to say that they're life coaches. I know. Like it's got this thing. It does. I don't know what, I don't know what that thing is. Uh, ju uh, I don't know judgment. Judgment. Yeah, well, yeah, it's judgment. <laughs> self, but self-judgment, is, is it a collective judgment that other people, you know, think that there's, that this, that the life coach isn't a valuable profession? Is it that there are no certifications? Well, there are certifications, but there's no like, there's no bar. Yeah. You know, there's no like law bar that, that right. you have to pass in order to be a life coach. Anybody can get a business card printed up and say, I'm a life coach. Um, how do you navigate that? And then how do you, yeah, how do you navigate yeah. that? Well, I, my answer to that is I don't. Huh. I don't okay. because to me, first of all, you know this, the profession of coaching comes out of sports and it comes out of acting, right? There are sports right. coaches forever, acting coaches forever. That's where the profession came from. And that's like a very, to me, those are beautiful, right? Those are beautiful roots to be uh, an athletic coach or a professional sports teams coach, you know, like those people, that's, those people change lives, right? And acting, it's like, I just saw somebody post on Facebook the other day, they're like one of their earliest acting teachers had just died. Mm -hmm. And they said, I, I still want to be like her when I grow up. So mm -hmm. to me, uh, being a professional coach is, I think it's the best profession on the planet. I love it. Um, I mean, Andy, when I met you, probably when I started doing my own coaching of clients, it was really clear to me pretty quickly. I was like, I want that guy as a client. Because I saw so much in you. I saw how fantastic you were. I saw things that I thought might be blind spots for you. And I thought I could really, I could really serve him. Mm -hmm. And I think we could do really great work together. And we have. Mm -hmm. And to me, I love being in a profession where it's 
alive all the time, right? I meet new people. If I sit with them, it's like, I never know what's going to happen because we're each so different, but I love being in a profession that's, I like that it's, I, I, I do not want to see professional coaching regulated. And because the world of therapy and counseling is regulated. And I think that has limited, changed that profession in a way that like creates more, um, restraints, uh, it feels like it's blunts its effectiveness. It does like somehow, because it now there's just all that stuff that goes with that bureaucracy. Yeah. Coaching to me, professional coaching can be done so many different ways. It's a pitfall of professional coaching because there are no certifications. Right. So if you go, you know, go to hire a coach and they literally just fell off the turnip truck. You know, well, that's where shame you on you for not right. for not having done your due diligence, I guess. Yeah, you know? but I mean, there are no regulations. So no, I mean, I love it. It's like the wild west. It's yeah, like it's. Yeah. I love that. It's very entrepreneurial and it's, there's a coach for everyone. So it's like, if you're someone who has discernment, you can find a great coach for yourself. You know, the way I coach is really different than Andy, the way you coach, Mm because your background as a Marine, as a fitness coach, that changes how you coach someone. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you add your USM education and all the other personal growth work you did. That's really different than my background. So when someone sits with me, they're going to have a really different experience than when they sit with you. And I think that's fantastic. That's why I love coaching coaches because I'm for this, this profession growing, but I'm also for this profession being depthful and that like, I'm committed that when someone works with me, their life's going to change. I'm not, even though we're going to talk about goals, I don't only coach on goals. Well, that's a, that's a really good, um, um, interlude into the, the lifestyle practice for this week in the whole challenge. Um, you know, I, Goals are interesting for me because I, I don't like to get caught up in this idea that I need to set New Year's resolutions because very often the resolutions, I, I think for me, like creating a picture of where I want to go works. Setting goals very often doesn't work. Um, I don't know if that's personality driven. I don't exactly know why, but I know I've, I've known that for myself. So like one of the exercises I like to do is I like to picture myself a year from now mm. and then I like to look back. Mm. So if I pictured myself in the beginning of 2018 and I'm looking back over the year, what has to have happened? Mm. I got this question actually from Dan Sullivan uh, from Strategic Coach. Um, what has to have happened for me to feel happy with the progress that I've made? Mm. And those kinds of things, they set up a picture. Yeah. You know, and it, we, we did some work on that yeah. with USM. We yep. were setting up a... a um, living vision, living vision ideal, scenes, ideal scenes. Right. 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 So what's the ideal scene? But this, but one of the elements of doing that is actually having that manifest in action. Yes. And that's really where the whole life challenge intersects because goals are great. They make you feel good. Got goals set, right? You got a list of things you're going to do in 2017. But how do they, where does the rubber hit the road? And um, so the, the, the lifestyle practice this week is called create your future. And the idea is that you select three items in total. They can be short-term, medium-term, or long-term mm. goals right. in quotes. Um, you select them at the beginning of the week and every day you write them by hand out. However long that takes, five, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, whatever. And the idea is that, that the repetitious both looking, reading, and integrating yeah. by writing 
builds your impetus to actually get something done, mm. to actually make it, take a step toward doing it. Whether it's my intention is to walk my dog, you know, every day this week or to put a down payment on my house. It could be big, they could be little. What, what is your take? Like, how do you coach people on setting goals, resolutions, yeah. whatnot? Well, I mean, I'm like you. I'm not a huge fan of New Year's resolutions. I mean, I, I like to, I'll do visioning or ideal scenes as USM calls them at any time of the year. It doesn't have to be like, oh, January. Although I did just do one for my own business just yesterday. I did a, a, an ideal scene. For the year? Or for the for year. The okay. For the year. And um, I, you know, in terms of goals, I mean, there's different kinds of goals, right? There's physical level goals, which is in a way some, a lot of what the whole life challenge works with, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, eating better. Some people might want to lose weight as a result. Um, working out more, mobility, all that. Like those are physical level, I could have a goal. And I think goals are great. I mean, I think they really serve us if they are helpful. See, I think a lot of people, and this is where sometimes I think people get challenged inside of the whole life challenge, is they'll set a goal and they'll start to move towards it. But like most people, then they hit bumps in the road because that's what goals do. They bring up stuff inside of us, then they get upset and they judge themselves because they aren't where they think they should be. So sometimes I think a lot of us set what I would call, say, unrealistic goals versus more like baby step goals. Well, do you tend to encourage your clients to um, set process-oriented goals or results-oriented goals? Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to have bought a new house by the end of the year. Right. That's a result-type goal. Right. Whereas I'm going to save $1,000 a month so that I can afford a down payment on, not a house, but a car yeah. by the end of the year. Like that's I'm, a process goal. If someone says to me, I want to buy a new house by the end of this year, then I'm going to say to them, first of all, my, my, my thing will be, well, why? I'm a, sure. I want to know the, right. what's underneath that. Because yep. I think a lot of us sometimes say we want something, but we're not really clear on why, or we think we should want it. Like we should want to have children and we should want to have a house. And then I, I want to get underneath that. But if it's really clear that what they want is what they say they want, mm -hmm. then I'm a big fan of like, well, let's talk about how you're going to get there. Right. Cause I don't know anyone who bought a house without saving some money unless they're like just wealthy. They fell into it. Right. Or something, yeah. So it's like, let's talk about that. What would that look like? So I'm a big fan of process of baby steps to get to what the bigger one is. But I'm also a fan of like, Usually when we want something like a house, there's something inside that we want. Like, what does that represent? Like mm. to me, cause I just bought my first house with my husband, you know, what a year and a half ago, it was really clear to me when that day came, cause I grew up renting and I thought renting was perfectly fine. And what, you know, my point of it view, is, I mean, it is perfectly it is fine, perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but right. But I thought like people had so much stuff around. You should like own a house, owning right. a house. Like you've grown up, right? Like, like that's what I've got. Like you finally grown up. You right. own your own house. Some, it meant something to people yeah. beyond yeah. what I thought it should mean. Like for me, renting feels like I'm still a kid. Like I'm still 20. See, I mean, my that's parents, what I do when I rent. Right. Like, and my you parents know? rent their apartment and they're 82 years old wow. and they've always rented. And so oh. I didn't have that as my oh, context. Got it, got it. So, but what happened was, is there, I was in our rental house and our landlord called me and wanted to come and check something out. And something inside of me just went, no more. I will never have this happen again. Just in that moment. In that moment. And it was so clear. I was like, this will, and I remember calling Michelle, my partner and being like, I'm done. I'm so done with this. This has to change. This has to change. Huh. And it wasn't until then. But if I were to go deeper with that, it was like there was a freedom, right? Huh. Like 
like it was something I would create and I would own with John and it would be ours. And there was something about no one is ever going to come and look and see what we did with blah, blah, blah again. Now I joke with my husband. Now I just have him doing it. (laughs) Like I'm like, now I have my husband saying, why are you putting nails up there? Right. But, but again, that's a different thing. Yes, yes it is. That's a different thing. (laughs) So I'm a fan of like what, let's get at what the real why is. Cause if it's really big, see if there, if you can really get in touch with that, in my experience, it will be, make it easier to get there. Not easy, but easier. So like if you can get in touch with the why, the deep, under, a the deeper deep why, right. like, cause you could look at lots of surface. Like reasons. I want to lose weight. That's a very common totally. New Year's resolution. Totally. So like you're, what you're suggesting is if that happens to be your goal, yeah. look for the why. Well, and really ask yourself, so what's that about for me? Because look, as a, as a woman, I know that weight is a real, it can be a real smoke screen for people and for men too. It's like, so what would happen? So if, if, you know, let's just take, okay, so I want to, I want to lose 10 pounds. So what do you think will be different when you lose those 10 pounds? Well, I'll be happier. So you're telling me that being happy, those 10 pounds are in the way of you being happy. Cause let's handle that. Cause I don't want 10 pounds to be in the way of me being happy. Mm-hmm. I can choose happy at any moment. Now I'm not, to mean, I'm not a fan of people being taking care of themselves, right. but I don't want to kid myself or, and if I have a client, I'll be like, whoa, whoa. So does that mean you would tell that client, look, that's a bad goal? I would never say that's a bad goal. I know, I know. I know you are, <laughs> but I would say, can we talk about that? Cause right. I'm offering to you that, that the goal of being happy, if your goal is to be happy, it's got nothing to do with your weight. No, but what, what if my goal is to lose weight? Like, and then, but, but you, we uncover that it is connected to my happiness. Right. But I still, and then I do work on that and I'm like, okay, I realize I can be happy any moment, Yeah. but I still want to lose 10 pounds. Great. I mean, like I'm for that. So okay. let's support you in doing that, but let's not, let's not pretend that you have to lose 10 pounds to get happy. Like that's, that's something else. Or it's like, oh, if I lose 10 or 15 pounds, then I'll be more attractive. You know, and I get that. But then at the same time, it's like, well, let's really look at that. Like, is that really accurate? Because most of the people I know that have done weight loss at the surface don't end up having the experience they thought they would have on the other side of it. Well, it's like they don't feel more attractive because really what's what's creating that unattractiveness is the judgment inside. It's not what's on the outside. And that doesn't go away. Unfortunately not. Even with six pack and, you know, like pecs and the arms and the shoulders. What's your experience? Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm, we're not doing the podcast on me. We're doing it on you. <laughs> well, I know me. Yes, I, I agree. Can, I, I yes. can judge myself. No, it doesn't go away. No, I can judge myself. Because it, all, it becomes my, more, more minute. You know, like it's, this part's not perfect, so I need to work on that part, that piece. Yeah. You know, you look at somebody with a six-pack or an eight-pack even, and then they, and the, they look at themselves in the mirror, they lift their shirt up, and they're like, yeah, but see that little area over there? I got to work on that because and I think I think I'm going to do some side crunches to yeah. get rid of that little, you know, thing over there. I have a client who is um, always on this quest mm-hmm. and I, I, she's an extraordinary woman. She's got a lot of self-awareness and this is an area that is still after many, many years still proving to be a really big challenge. And part of it is like making peace. It's like in a way, especially with the whole life challenge, what I love about it is the way you and Michael do it is that it's like part of it is like, let's not make this about the external so much. Although like I'm all for people being healthy, but when it becomes this thing of like, I want to look a certain way because then it will, then I'll be, then I can go 
this is someone who actually wants partnership. And they'll be like, then, then I can, I'll, I'll go on, I'll do my online dating after I, after I lose 10 or 15 pounds. And it's an ongoing conversation we're having. And I'm like, like, do you like, really, are you going to wait? Because if you think that's going to like make it easier and better for you, you, it won't happen because whatever is driving you to this idea that like, then I'll be attractive, then I'll feel good enough. You've got the idea that being, feeling good enough is associated with how you look. And I want to flip that. But how do you, you know, I just, I just got this moment of, so if you accept your, let's just say you, you, you go to the head of the class, you have your black belt in self-acceptance. You accept everything about yourself. And, and you're overweight. Yeah. And you want to lose weight. Yeah. How do you, how would one, like I, I, I picture that and go, how would you muster the, I don't know, the momentum? Are you, so or are the, you, okay, so here's what you're about to present. Do you hear this? You're like saying to me that, you'll do more if you are less accepting of yourself. Like I'll, I'll, that's interesting. That's what you just said. Right. You're like, where do I find my motivation from if I'm not hating myself and my body? Yeah. I mean, look, I, we're doing extremes for the sake of a conversation. Right. I think it's important. No, I I think this is where people, Oh, I've had people say that to me. Yeah. I mean, Michelle and I, I will not lose weight if I don't have this judgment of myself that I look like crap in the mirror. Right. Like, right. Like we're, have you seen people still lose the weight even after fully accepting yes, themselves? Yes, absolutely. What, like, can you offer as to how or why and why that's, I mean, I guess theoretically that's much better. Like, I, we should accept themselves fully. and But yet I would imagine it would be hard to... Well, I don't know anybody who accepts themselves fully. First of all, let's right, be clear right, about right, that. Right, right, and right. I also, the people I know that have released weight successfully and maintained the loss have are people, my experience is the people I know that have done that, they have done two things. They've dealt with whatever was going on inside of them that had them have the weight on in the first place. And usually that's enormous self-judgment. There's enormous like worthiness issues, let's call them, right? So anybody who loses weight and then can maintain it usually has had to do some inner work to Mm -hmm. deal with that. So that's the people. And then the other thing is, is that the people I know that have done it and done it successfully is they know the game. Like in other words, like I know the game is like, okay, I know that my body is not who I really am. However, I want my body to work as well as it possibly can for as long as it possibly can. And I want to feel good in my clothes. So, so I know that the game then is I have to go to CrossFit and go to the class three or four times a week and, you know, do a reasonable job of eating clean. And I don't, and I don't, it's like, I don't make it a referendum on myself when I don't do that. I just don't. And that takes time. And, 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 and some people have more issues around that than I do. You know well, what I mean? You, I think what you're describing is if, if you create a game that is big enough, which is one of the things I loved about CrossFit and one of the things I love about the whole life challenge, it is a game. I yeah. mean, we've, we've created it so that it is a, it's a game you play in your life and it's not about you. It's not, a, you know, like if you lose weight, it's great. But if you're playing, if you, if you do it and you, you, but you're, because you're playing the game and you're playing all out and you choose a level that's appropriate for you and you are accountable to everything that you're supposed to be accountable for. And these things happen. Fantastic. Yeah. But it's because you're playing the game, not because of 
the fact you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I hate myself. Well, to myself. me, what I love about the whole life challenge, which is so different than anything else out there is it's about awareness. It's like, well, yeah. how am I being in the game? Cause yeah. like we know lots of people who will be in a game and their goal is to quote unquote win at all costs. Right. And that includes not being very kind to themselves. And that, and I'm not talking about also letting ourselves off the hook, right? Yeah, like it's a hard, ba- it's it a hard thing to balance, right? Yeah. Michelle and I, when we do, did our coaching groups with women, Michelle did a whole bit about this because she would say that she was the master of like, like either or either like rigid punishing herself if she didn't do it or like, Oh, it doesn't matter if I ate all the cookie dough. Who cares? I'm just, I just loving came out myself. Of a three week period of yeah, it doesn't matter how many cookies I right. ate and how many right and like and like like there's a lie right like how do we know? And I want to say something because Michelle would talk about that piece you said. She would say to people who were like, but I don't know if I'm going to do it if I'm not hard on myself, right? Yeah. And that was that thing you asked. And she would say, so let's talk about like let's let's take it in a different way. And you know about this, Andy, more than I do. She's like. My understanding is that when you train a dog, that a dog will do more for you when you train them with, lo- with love than when you train them with fear. Yeah. Is that true? That's true. And to me, it, it, the same thing applies here. It's like, I'm going to do more for myself if I train myself with loving than if I train myself with fear and anger and judgment. And I have found that to be true. I mean, I don't know anybody, any, the people that I know that are more aware and conscious of this stuff, that, that more will occur for them in a positive way mm-hmm. if they do it that way versus look, and I know there are many like hardcore serious athletes who, um, who are really hard on themselves. And I think that they pay a huge price and you know more of them than I do. Yeah. They pay a price mentally. They pay a price emotionally. They may pay a price in their relationships. So I'm for well-being. Like I like that it's a whole life challenge and that you guys talk about relationships and you talk about our our way of being in the world and joy and fun. It's like, and, I'm, and I love goals. I think goals are fun. I mean, wh- like it's fun to have goals. It's fun to make stuff happen. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's fun to have a vision for totally. where you want your life to be totally. you know, a year from now. No, it's, it's, it's cool. How, um, how do you work with your own family on this stuff? Like your daughter, uh, you have a, a nine year old. I, like I do. I do. Like, how do you help her navigate these waters knowing what you know? Meaning what, when you say navigate, like what well, do you navigate the waters of, of her who she's being yeah. when you see her get upset yeah. and I'm upset because oh. like how, how we talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I'll say to her, like she'll say, you made me mad. And I'll say, well, I can't really make you mad. That's all happening inside of you. I understand that it feels like I made you mad, but I'm not responsible for your madness. And does she understand that? <laughs> no, she has no idea. <laughs> she gets mad. She gets more she mad. She gets more me. mad. Right, right, right. I mean, like I joke with people recently in the last six months, she said to me, mom, enough with the spiritual pep talks. <laughs> She said that. My daughter was eight years old. Mom, I don't want any more of your spiritual pep talks. That's great. And I was like, listen, people pay me a lot of money for those spiritual pep talks. She's like, I don't care. I don't want them. So a friend of mine coached me. You she get them for like, free. A friend of mine coached me. She was like, you got to ask, what is it though? And I said to her, so what is it? Are they too long? She's like, too long, mommy, too uh, long. Uh, and so I really got like less is more with an yeah. eight-year-old. Yeah. Little bits. 
And I let her ask now. So sometimes I'll be, she'll be upset about something and I'll be like, look, do you just want me to listen or do you want me to offer you anything? And she'll be some, just listen, which is totally appropriate. And I'll be like, great, I can just listen. I get it. But there are times where I'll say to her, like, you know, it's loose. It's not formal. You know what I mean? Like I don't be, it's not like, you know, I sit down at night and be like, let's do a talk on personal responsibility. You know, it's like in the happenings of life, right? Right. Like, you know, she, she used to say a lot. It's not fair. It's not fair, mommy. It's not fair. And I would just be like, I really hear you. And I just want to be upfront with you. It's not designed to be fair. Whoever said the world should be fair. Like I'm getting that out of the way. Now she may hate me for it and be with a therapist when she's 25 being like, why couldn't have my mom been more loving and supportive? But like, you know, Ron Hull, like president of USM is like one of the biggest things people walk around in the world with is like, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. And it's like, let's get it out of the way. The world is not designed to be fair. Yeah. My mom never went through any of this training, but that was one of the things she said all the time. It's, it's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. You're right. And I said to her, it's hard. Sometimes I say to listen to it's hard. You're right. Sometimes things aren't fair. And that's what we all get to work with. So, I mean, I don't do it. Like, I just do it the way I do it. Like, there's no, you know, but she knows. I mean, she'll, you know, like one time recently with another friend that she hangs out with a lot that I carpool with them. And she's like, I, I said to Kate, and she, he, he was talking about another little boy. And he was saying how he didn't like him sometimes. I was like, well, tell me more. And then she's like, Kate, and she's going to start with the <laughs> spiritual pep talks. <laughs> and I and I said I didn't do anything. I just asked a question. She's got your number. She totally has my number. <laughs> and I'm married to someone who, as you know, is a USM grad. Who my policy is, I don't, I don't like, I don't coach yeah. John. That doesn't yeah. work in a marriage. How do you keep yourself on a? What are the things you do to keep yourself operating at your peak? you know, pre-performance, like I, we've, we've talked about self-forgiveness, you're yep. walking around doing yep. self-forgiveness, but what are the physical things that you do? Do you have a certain time you get up every day? Do you have a routine in the mm. morning? Do you have a routine in the evening? Do you have little things you do? Well, you know, I'm not really a morning person. So frontally enough, like I, I, in my, in my ideal world, I would wake up around nine and start my day, but I don't live like that. Right. I have right. a nine-year-old soon to be nine year old. So my day starts much earlier and maybe that will change as I get older. But right now it's like my routine is, you know, I, on a school day, let's call it right. Cause my life is dictated by those things like yours is. It's like, I wake up, I do a little bit of centering myself before I get out of bed. What does that mean? So it means like I, someone might call it prayer. It's like really connecting inside, mm-hmm. asking for spiritual assistance, um, asking for strength to get out of bed because I'm tired Cause I'm really not, I'm really don't like getting up early in the morning. Right. I don't. Right. Although I did for many, many years to train with you. I mean, right. I, I'm going to be clear, right? You were I, in the 6 crew. I was in the 6am crew yep. and I got out of bed wow. and, I, and I did it. Three, I didn't know that. I and didn't I, know you were, I would have, I would have put money on the fact that you were a morning. No. Person. And I did it three days a week and I loved it. And I did it for many, many years until Lucinda was born. And then that changed everything. Right. So my routine now, and I do that. And then I, Usually I'm the drop off person. I take her to school. And then if it's, if I'm not doing a workout, that's a time I get to go home and have some quiet time. I'll do some meditation. I'll, you know, do my email. I'll do that kind of stuff. Do you have a journal? You know, I don't, I journal on and off. I don't journal a lot. I do, um, 
I have some things I listen to that are important to me that are that are uplifting and important in terms of my own spiritual path. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't do a lot of journaling except when I'm like, I'm someone who does better with like when I'm in a program. So in other words, if I go back to USM because they're doing a course, then I'll do my journaling, right? Oh, but I don't do, I sometimes I do. It's I wouldn't call it journaling though. Like I'll write occasionally. Mm-hmm. I've done lots of different kinds of things where I write. Um, and then what's important to me is working out. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been working out at CrossFit for, you know, whatever, 12 years. And that's, that's a mainstay for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, I am there usually three days a week. And then I do something else on my own one or two days a week. Yeah. What do you do on your own? So we've never, I don't think I've ever even asked you that. Like right now, my husband and I, our daughter is taking a circus class every Saturday for two hours. Juggling? Like what's she doing? Juggling silks, like learning how to do stuff in the silks and trapeze and all of that. And what we love is it's a two hour class. So we drop her off and it's right near these incredible stairs that you can walk in Culver City. Oh yeah. I know those stairs. They're crazy and they're they're hard. Yeah. So we do that. So we've been doing that every Saturday, which has been awesome. How many times up and down the stairs do you do in two hours? You do two hours of stairs? No, 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 no. It just occurred to me, no, like, oh there's, my God. There's a hike there, too. Yeah, so yeah, we'll yeah. usually do the stairs one set, but then we'll do a bunch of hiking in there, and uh-huh. then we'll do some, like, other, like, crossfit things in between. Oh, cool. You know, John will do some jumping and stuff like you that. You doing CrossFit? Mm, he's sort of, you know... He's, you know, it's his thing. It's yeah, his... He okay. do, he's not... No, I know. You know. He's not a joiner in that way. Right. But, um... So we do that, and then usually I try to get in, um either yoga or something else that's more restorative. Yoga in a class or yoga at home? Yoga in a class. I'm a class person. I don't do as well on my own. I mean, I, I learned that very early on. And, and so I'm not like you, like, you know, you'll go out, you do all sorts of stuff on your own. Yeah, I, I do. And I value so the social aspect of the group, Me I, too. I, do, I respond really well when I'm accountable to other people. Me too. I can do it on my own, but you know, wh- one thing I've noticed at the end of this year is that I'm when pressed for time and the valuable resource of time, very often I will leave out my physical work, my mm. work on myself, my work on my, you know, my skill practice or my um, stretching habit or my workout. I'll, I'll, I'll convince, I mean, it's just like anybody else. I'll right. convince myself I don't have time. Right. I'll convince myself that it takes but, an but, hour and I don't have time. And whereas I am so sore right now actually sitting here because I did two workouts, two CrossFit wads, which are, they were very, they were short. They were 10 minutes. Right. Push-ups. I did 25 pull-ups. First real workout I've done in about four months. I mean, I've been doing other things, but this like workout, I've been so sore. (laughs) My arms from 25 pull-ups. I mean, I used to do those. That was a warm up. That was a, you know. Right. So anyway, so I have the same stuff. I have the same, you know. So for me, it's like I got to be doing something four days a week. That's my minimum. I like, I really want to move it up. I really want to be doing something five days a week. That's one of my objectives in 2017 because I'm doing, you know, in my own reading, it's like everything I'm reading is as we age, more moving is better. So if I can be moving and I don't care, some of it can be super light, but if I'm moving five days a week, I know I'm in good territory. And then, um, so that's important to me. And then I have my own spiritual practice, which involves meditation. And then usually every night when you do your meditation, is it quiet? Is it guided? It's quiet. And I use a tone that I chant inside of me and then I listen. And sometimes I get distracted and think about my clients. And sometimes I get, you know, I get pulled out just like everybody else. And then I come back to it. And then, um, 
So there's that. And then there's like, I have like good friends and my husband who I hang out with a lot. And um, we do you have an evening thing that you do. Do you have a certain bedtime that you like to get in bed by? Well, ideally, and Michelle used to say this, I was left. She, she thought 1015 was like the magic time, uh-huh. the magic for everyone. Universal she, doesn't kind matter of. She was right. like 1015 and, and I'm sort of adopting like 1030. Mm-hmm. I've gone later, but I, I really do I've better emails from you at midnight. Uh, yeah. So there are times I do that. And like I I sometimes, because I'm not really a morning person, my tendency is to want to stay up later, but it doesn't serve me when I have to get up at an early time. So usually if I'm in bed by 1030, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love coffee and I don't do, I do one huge one a day. I don't do coffee throughout the day. So that's one of my favorite rituals. Mm -hmm. Um, I love coffee. hanging out. Like I'm not, you know, I, I love to hang out. I love, I travel, you know, that's a big piece of something I love to do. I travel a lot with my mom. You take a great trip every year with your mom. I do with my mom and my daughter. daughter, Right. Right. So she, my mom is 82 and we have traveled once a year outside of the country since well before Lucinda was born. And really cool. And that was part of my USM education. Cause if you had said to me, 15 years ago, you're going to travel with your mom once a year outside the country by choice. I would have said you're high on crack cocaine. (laughs) Never going to happen. Not in this lifetime. Right. And it's one of the highlights of my year. And Lucinda now does it with us. Do you have a plan for this year? We do. We're we're going to do it easier because I'm teaching the coaching program at USM. So my schedule is a little tighter. So we'll probably do... We'll go back to Mexico City because oh, we've only cool. been there once. Mm-hmm. I like Mexico City a lot and probably um, to Puebla, which we've never been to. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Thailand maybe in a wow. year. We're talking about my mom's been there. She's been everywhere. But some other she really is like, Carolyn, can we get out of South America? Can we can we go someplace other than Mexico? Because we've traveled all throughout Mexico. So right. I love that. I love collecting arts and crafts from all over South America. And that's really fun for me. And um, the other thing that's important to me is uh, to be in community. So that's important for me. Like I'm, I'm someone who does better in community, whether it's my spiritual community, whether it's the coaching community, whether it's my fitness community. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. That's right. really important to me. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for spending this time. It's, it's been, uh, it's gone by very, very quickly. Like I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, okay, I want these podcasts to be no more than an hour. Yeah. We're five minutes over an okay. hour. Um, um, and, uh, I feel like we could, I could go on for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to acknowledge you, Andy, cause I've known you for such a long time. It's such a treat to get to sit with you in this way and to talk with you about these things that, you know, we've obviously touched on them in all sorts of ways through your coaching in some ways, yeah. but like, we don't get to just talk like this. Right, right. Um, and I just think what you and Michael and what the whole life challenge does is just a great service. And I love that anyone can play. You can come in at any level. It's no different than when I showed up at your gym. Right. Like, like it feels the same. It's designed for anybody, wherever they are. It is. It's funny that you say that because now I think about the way that the way I kind of pushed away to see if you were going to stick. The challenge is confronting in that way. You know, it's not four weeks. It's it's not something that is easy to, it's not something that's easy. Hey, my son Dashiell just walked in the door. He's been at a sleepover and yesterday they spent the day skiing up at Mountain High. so. So fun. Um, uh, it's not something that is just a no-brainer. Like no. You actually have to like study it. You have to look at the rules. You have to, you know, we have a lot of people that start and haven't looked at the rules and they're, they're lost in the first week. Well, of course you're lost. Like, yeah. Like the rules. Um, 
but it's similar that way. And I hadn't really thought of it yeah. until this moment yeah. that you bring that up. So thank you. So I just acknowledge you. I am going to be doing it again. And I'm looking forward to taking another cut at that and seeing what that does for me. And cool. just fun to be with you. Thanks again. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. And you got it. With it. Yeah. The Whole Life Challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team, Ernie Hurtado, Becca Borowski, and Cameron Banfield. You can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode, plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if you like it, please remember to give us a favorable rating in iTunes and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.